It means love, respect, community. The dollars too. The entire package. Screen Pass Podcast. Welcome to Screen Pass, the show about American football in popular culture. I'm Sheehan. With me, as always, is a man who never shot lifts the pooty, Justin Barber. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Felt very uncomfortable saying that. I plead the fifth. How are you doing, Sheehan? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good, man. I am good. As we record this, not that we want to date ourselves, we're after the first weekend of football. And it's exciting to have real football back in our lives, but even more exciting to have pretend football back on our screens and in your ears. Love it, love it, love it. Fantasy football's back. Actual football's back. They go hand in hand, so of course, but very exciting. Good to hear you on the 32-bit podcast for the fantasy football, 32 teams. Yeah, back, uh, rebranded, still the same great content. Still the same terrible takes. Uh, still me and friend of the show, Nada. But yeah, 32 teams now. That's exciting. Uh, I had a tweet that went viral after the Queen died over here. So that was also exciting. <laughs> As a result, we got no extra listeners to the podcast. So good to see that really translated. If you're listening, you're a hardcore fan. No, that was awesome, man. Your tweet went straight viral. I've never seen anyone just get like, I was just watching the thousand marks just hit, 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 hit. It was cool. It was very cool. I'd like to say I was one of the first five people to like it, by the way, and retweet it. Yeah. Just like the fans listening to the show. You're one of the beginner fans. And I can say I knew Sheehan when, and you can say you knew this podcast one. Exactly. We're in the food factory in Wuhan right now. All of us <laughs> together. So this week we're going to dive into not just one of the best sports movies ever, one of the great romantic comedies ever, and that's Jerry Maguire. What's your relationship with this film? Well, I mean, I don't really have any direct stories associated with it or anything around it. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty old-ass movie. I've seen it multiple times. I've seen it many times. I've seen parody on parody on parody of this. I mean, this movie really is an institution in not only sports movies, but rom-coms. It definitely covers both in the Venn diagram here. How about you? I love this movie. Unashamedly love this movie. I was one of my favorite movies when I was younger. I've watched it so many times. It had been a long time since I watched it again before talking about it now. So I had forgotten bits of it. But, you know, as a young person, it's super inspirational. Guy kind of going all in. Didn't necessarily love the rom-com aspect of it, but you see a guy put his balls on the line for everything. It was a football <laughs> movie. I've been an unabashed fan of this for a long time. And you're right. It is kind of an iconic film. I mean, to celebrate the 20th anniversary, the NFL made Rod Tidwell a football life. I love it. I've seen it. I love it. It was so good. They had guests on there. Um, just a whole bunch of people. I think Ray Lewis was on there. Uh, was Terrell yep. Owens on there? Someone else. T.O., Michael yep. Irvin, yep. Kurt Warner. They got Jonathan Lipnicki back. They got the guy who played T.P. back. They got the guy who interviewed him in the movie back. It was really cool. It was really cool. 
They even pulled Jerry Maguire's stepson is how they listed him under there. (laughs) And he's like, there are two things in life when when you think of Tidwell. It's BC and AC. Before catch, after the catch. That's his whole life. It was a really good clip. I think he calls him Uncle Rod. Really nice. So yeah, this this is an iconic film. Already you'll know how I'm going to lean when we score it at the end. Do you have any other favorite rom-coms? This is an interesting question because I feel like only certain movies kind of fall into that. And when I started thinking about, do I like other rom-coms? I tend to like things that are more on the comedy side of things. Like, I think there's there's a list of movies that could be considered rom-coms. Like Forgetting Sarah Marshall or Wedding Singer. Princess Bride is a classic one. Um... I started to think, I don't know if this would be considered rom-com, but Scott Pilgrim vs. the World is one of my favorite movies of all time, but that just falls into the comedy. So, kind of settle on two. It's definitely in the rom-com category. The first one would be High Fidelity with John Cusack. Yep. Jack Black co-stars, and oddly enough, the male nanny from Jerry Maguire is in that as well. Hmm. It it's based on the book by uh, Nick Hornby, and it's really a guy rom com. The whole thing's from a guy perspective. His girlfriend breaks up with him, and he just kind of goes through this heartache. He owns a record store, so throughout the whole movie, he's saying, "This is the top five. This like someone dies. He's like top five songs for a funeral, and the whole movie is top five breakups of all time." And he goes through all his breakups and then tries to meet up with these girls and see where it went wrong. But there's a good scene in it that shows the guy's perspective where he actually has a one night stand with Lisa Bonet. And immediately Mm -hmm. when he leaves his apartment, he immediately starts fixating on his ex-girlfriend saying that she hadn't slept with the guy yet that he left her for. And he's like, yet what does that mean? He literally left the, the room from sleeping with someone else, but completely obsessed. Just come on. What would it mean to you, that sentence? I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet. Well, to me, it would mean that you're a liar. You've seen it twice. Once with Laura, oops, and once with me and Dick, remember? We had that conversation about the guy making Beretta shotgun ammo off screen in the 14th century. Right, all right, but let's just say that I hadn't seen it. And I said to you, I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet. What would you think? I think that you're a cinematic idiot, and I feel sorry for you. All right. But from that one sentence, would you think that I was going to see it? I'm sorry, Rob. I'm struggling here. You're asking me, what would I think if you told me you hadn't seen a film that you have already seen? What am I supposed to say? Listen to me. If I said to you, I haven't seen Evil Dead 2 yet, yes. Would you get the impression that I really wanted to see it? Oh, uh, well, you couldn't have been desperate to see it. Otherwise, you'd have already gone. Right, I'm not going to see that movie. But the word yet. Yeah, you know what? I get the impression that you wanted to see it. Otherwise, you'd have said you didn't want to go. But in your opinion, would I definitely go? How the fuck am I supposed to know? Probably. The movie's great. (laughs) Total guy romance movie. And then the other one, if I have to throw it in there, would be uh, Mr. Right. With Sam Rockwell and Anna Kendrick. It's got Tim Roth in it and RZA from Wu-Tang. 
<laughs> really good movie. Sam Rockwell's an assassin. He's super goofy. Anna Kendrick's super goofy. And basically, she ends up falling for Sam Rockwell, and she doesn't know that he's a killer. It's fun. It's light. And I've watched it more times than I'd like to admit. That's awesome. High Fidelity, based on a book by Nick Hornby, is set in North London, like not far from where I live. So it's full circle, really. Same with uh, Fever Pitch, another fantastic rom-com, the original, not the remake. The list of the 70 best rom-coms of all time that I have in front of me from Time Out yep. has your boy Scott Pilgrim versus The World at number 25. Yes. Yeah. I mean, for me, that movie trumps all those other movies. I love that movie. Seen it a million times. The director, Edgar Wright, is one of my favorite of all time. He did Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Baby Driver. The movie is just so good. I It's based on a comic book series. I have that as well loaded with stars and stars before they became stars chris evans in it brie lawson's in it anna kendrick is also in that unbelievable if you haven't seen it that would be my top recommendation it's actually a really good garlic bread garlic bread is my favorite food i could honestly eat it for every meal or just eat it all the time without even stopping <laughs> you get fat no why would i get fat bread makes you fat bread makes you fat nice one well this might be top of my list but just, I'm cheating here. I'm going to look at the this 70 list in front of me. Another one that we are 100% going to hit on this. And, and it may be an interesting tie back to Jerry Maguire because it was supposed to have a cameo from Drew Bledsoe and Steve Young, both related to Jerry Maguire. And that's There's Something About Mary. Excellent. Very good call. That's absolute banger of a film. And it might be something we could cover in the future for sure. Definitely. Four Weddings and a Funeral, another London-based classic. I've seen that. Plenty of times. The Wedding Singer, you mentioned. Yep. The Golden Age of Adam Sandler. The Best Man speech at the start is one of the great movie cameos with Steve Buscemi. The Better Man. Um, <laughs> the Best Man. There's that one time we were in Puerto Rico and we picked up those two. I don't remember paying, but I guess they were prostitutes. Because <laughs> Harold, you know, he's always been the dependable one. And I've always... In the screwed up one, right, Dad? <laughs> Why can't you be more like your brother? Uh, Harold would never beat up his landlord. <laughs> He's drunk as shit. <laughs> but, uh, little newsflash, Pop. Harold ain't so perfect. Remember that time in Puerto Rico when we picked up those two, uh, well, I guess they were prostitutes, but I don't remember paying. Okay, how about that? How about that? Yeah, how about that? Terrific. Huh? I'm a person too, Pop, goddammit. I'm a person too. You're a moron. Okay. The best man, everybody. Best man. The better man. <laughs> <laughs> Guitar lesson self-taught. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Harold would never beat up his landlord. <laughs> Also, funnily enough, uh, six degrees of separation within my own life. I've seen both uh, High Fidelity and uh, The Wedding Singer as stage productions in, uh, in the UK. One was quite good. The other was terrible. You can work out which one it was. <laughs> wedding Singer was so bad. I bet. The Princess Bride on this list, obviously a throwback to our League of Extraordinary Gentlemen episode as well. We had Wesley in that and Andre the Giant yep. showed up in your team. Yeah. They're absolute classics. 10 Things I Hate About You with Perth's own Heath Ledger. It's a great movie. Around the time it came out, 
some of my best work uh, at the time. Forgetting Sarah Marshall popped that in the DVD player and normally didn't get to the end. Other activities took over before the days of Netflix and chill. Yeah. <laughs> and I think probably a, a rom-com in a sense, and it's a, a rom-com about two men. And that's I Love You, Man. Oh, yeah. That's interesting. I, nice. I think that could easily be classed as a rom-com. That's a fantastic film as well. Great movie. It seems like what we've been discussing, we tend to like things that are a little more on the comedic side. I mean, there's definitely ones that have romantic-based stuff in there. Like, I'm also a big fan of Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Funny movie, certainly about romance. But I tend to gravitate more towards the comedy side of movies. I've seen Miss Congeniality a bunch. That's a rom-com. Stop it. Uh, 40-Year-Old Virgin, another classic. That's a good one, too. I mean, you can't talk about rom-coms without Sandy B. So, you know, Mrs. Uh, Miss Congeniality had to get a man. <laughs> it's fair to say that we're not massive fans, but right. I think Jerry Maguire is still probably top of my list as, as my favorites, and maybe watching it cemented it. Definitely breaks down barriers between anything that you dig. If you're into the classic rom-coms, obviously it's one of those. But it's also got a ton of comedy in it. It's got the football basis. You see that cutthroat side of the agent life. So it's really what would seem like, on paper to describe it, probably not a good movie. It really is a phenomenal movie. Yeah, for sure. Before we dive into it any deeper, don't forget we are part of 32-Bit. Stay up to date on absolutely everything we're doing to find out when our Twitter spaces are, to never miss an episode of On Beat, to stay up to date with all the fantasy football advice from me, from Nata, from Marcus Grant, from all the team 32-Bit. Follow at 32-Bit on Twitter. Don't forget as well, you can follow us at Instagram, at ScreenPassPodcast. You can drop us an email, that's at ScreenYouLater at gmail.com, as in ScreenYouLater at gmail.com, not at ScreenYouLater at gmail.com i'm sure you could work that out <laughs> tell us we're good tell us we're bad ask us a question give us a recommendation we're all about it without any further ado jerry Maguire, written and directed by cameron crowe starring tom cruise renee zellweger and is it cuba or cuba gooding jr what do we said cuba gooding jr yeah it's like fidel castro right cuba yeah yeah cuba gooding jr cuba gooding jr also stars or features, if you like, Jonathan Lipnicki, Bonnie Hunt, Jay Moore, SNL alumnus, Jerry O'Connell, Kelly Preston, rest in peace, and Regina King, who is amazing in Watchmen. Yep. As Sister Knight. A surprise to see her show up in this. I forgot she was in it. She wasn't on my radar when I used to watch it, and now she is, so that was pretty cool. Regina King and Cuba Gooding Jr. Are in this, and they're both in Boys in the Hood. So it's like a mm. nice... Thing where I first saw both of them. I think probably where most people first saw both of them. But yeah, her resume is huge. She's just been in a ton of stuff. She's excellent. Yeah, she absolutely is excellent. As I say, amazing in Watchmen. Jerry Maguire was nominated the Oscars for Best Actor. Tom Cruise lost to Jeffrey Rush, who was David Helfgott in Shine, a man who I have seen live. David Helfgott, not, uh, not Jeffrey Rush. Uh, lost to the English Patient at Best Picture, fun little Six Degrees of Separation. One of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld is the English Patient. Also nominated for Best Screenplay and Best Film Editing, but our boy Cuba slash Cuba won Best Actor in a Supporting Role 
uh, for his workers, Rod Tidwell, which watching this back now does not surprise me because he is incredible. He earned it. I would even go as far to say he made the movie. Yep. His comic relief in it, jumping from like aggression to laughter. I'm, it was, in my opinion, the best role that he's ever done. And rewatching this, I was like, this guy made the movie. He deserves an Academy Award for it. He was really, really good. Yeah, you're right. He was so good. We'll get into the who he reminds us of a little bit later, but yeah, he's phenomenal. Currently has a 7.3 out of 10 on IMDb. I think it probably deserves a little bit higher than that. Agreed. And the AFI listed at number 100 on their list of 100 Years, 100 Passions. So the 100th greatest rom-com of all time in their eyes mm. from 2002. And they included both Show Me the Money and You Had Me at Hello at number 25 and number 52 on their 100 Years, 100 Movie Quotes list in 2005. There is so many quotes from this movie. It might be one of the biggest quoted movies of all time. Yeah. Show me the money. Help me help you. You had me at hello. It's just packed with things that people have been quoting and throwing out forever. 100%. That's exactly where I have a starting my notes is, what is the best line in the film? Is it show me the money? Because I remember that being, that's the part that's always parody. Yeah. Is him screaming, show me the money. Uh, the you had me at hello, which I think is a ridiculously dumb line that <laughs> doesn't really work. And I think that scene is so good, but it doesn't quite land for me. They both do the same things. He says, you complete me and repeats it. And she says, you had me at hello and repeats it. Right. Something about it just doesn't gel for me. I love you completely, but I don't love you had me at hello. It's hard now to watch it because, as you mentioned, it's been so parodied so much. So even scenes like that, I'm going to be honest with you. His last speech when he breaks in, the acting, what he says, it gets me. Like, I'm just a little Mm. bit like, it's a little dusty in here. Even though I know it's coming, even though I know what he's going to say. Because it's such a good build up to that point but you had me at hello has just been in so many jokes at this point that it is hard for me to take it a little seriously watching it at this point i don't remember how i felt the first time i saw it um (laughs) i don't i mean it this movie is an old ass movie this came out in 1996 so i i can't remember what i ate for dinner last week so i don't remember how i felt on it but you are right you complete me is a full circle. They mm. show part of it earlier. It's when they first basically broke off to go on his own. They hadn't been a thing yet. And then it was a callback. And so it worked really well. The you had me at hello didn't seem to work as much. Full disclosure, I didn't cry. This time might be the first time watching it that I hadn't cried. I watched about half the film last night when I was very hungover. I watched the rest today after work. I think if I'd got through it last night in my fragile emotional state, I would have cried because it usually gets me, as you say, even though I know it's coming, it still gets me. And it is, like, Tom Cruise is really good in this. I'm going to go on record. Tom Cruise is an excellent actor. In all the movies he's in, I love. He's in The Outsiders, Risky Business, Top Gun. Let's go through them. A Few Good Men. Mm. Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Minority Report. Vanilla Sky. I should have actually thrown that into my rom-com movies. I think that is a highly underrated movie. I love that movie. That's another um, Cameron Crowe, too. 
There's a scene in it where Jason Lee says, You will never know the exquisite pain of the guy who goes home alone. Because without the bitter baby, the sweet ain't as sweet. And there's lines in that movie that I think about from time to time. It's the little things as they're nothing bigger. So I actually may have brought this movie up in a past podcast. I feel like I talk about this movie a lot. <laughs> but I, I think you have. It's just underrated. That's all. But Tom Cruise is an exceptional ass. Ac- exceptional ass. <laughs> I think he's both an exceptional ass and an exceptional actor. I think that's totally fine. I think what did it for him is he's still A-list, but he hasn't really done anything super exceptional in 10 years. I mean, basically, since he kind of lost his mind in 2011. Yep. The Oprah show. I'm in love! Jumping up on the couch and running into the backstage to pull out Katie. I thought that was like 2002 when he was with Penelope Cruz. No, no. It was Katie was the Oprah. Oh, right. It's when he got together with Katie Holmes. And I I gotta be honest, I loved it. it I thought it was nuts. The memes were great. They have the meme of him grabbing oprah by the hands and then electrocuting her like he's the freaking emperor in star wars and dane cook went on jimmy kimmel and did a parody of it and he's pounding the floor and he's running in the back and like like a psycho what is it i mean what do you love about this woman that makes you so crazy i can i should just show you she's here i brought her you guys want to meet her yeah this is uh I've never seen Whoa. Dane like this. Where I mean, he's, Katie! Katie! Very, Katie! <laughs> he's very enthusiastic in general, but. I loved all of it. When those guys go crazy, that's when I like it. I do not care about celebrity news, but when they start like losing their mind and talking goofy, like I nothing Charlie Sheen. And when he went nuts with Tiger's blood and his harem of goddesses and (laughs) hashtag winning. Oh my God. I just, I love it. I can't wait to see what they do next. L O V E it. (laughs) Hashtag winning. That was nuts when Charlie Sheen went off the deep end. They're, you know, oh, speaking of head trauma. Uh, so was... good. I mean, look, I get their people and people are like, oh, it's so sad. For the entertainment value, I, I don't care about their personal lives. I don't care about any actor's personal life, honestly. I'm not that guy. But when they lose their mind, I'm all in. I want to watch it. It's fun for me. Yeah, there was something a lot more fun and strangely wholesome about Tom Cruise and Charlie Sheen going nuts than Ezra Miller. Oh, yeah. Their descent into madness. So that's a much sadder situation. Way to bring the show down, Sheen. (laughs) Well, I think theirs was basically on themselves, whereas he involved other people at kind of a horrific level. So, yeah, let's bring it back up. What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about anything? Anything at all? What do I... What do I think? I tell you what, we're both big, big football fans. You're on the clock 101. What is yep. the best line from this film? 
All right, so 101, I'm going to have to say show me the money. I think that that scene earned it. The scene was funny. The phrase is good. Number two, my second round draft of lines is going to be... That's how you become great, man. Hang your balls out there. Thanks. <laughs> that line from the uh, copycat Kinko's guy. Yep. Who was actually Jerry Cantrell. He was the lead vocalist for Alice in Chains. Oh, cool. This could come up two weeks in a row. <laughs> Best line in the movie, but how about you? You're on the clock. Need to pick a line. I think it has to be show me the money. Do like as well the part that gets forgotten when he screams, I love black people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're all looking at him, particularly because about five minutes earlier in the movie, he's on the phone to someone. And all you hear is, he said, I don't understand black people. I'm Mr. Black People. Right. Which I thought was a really funny line. And I nearly used that as the introduction for you off the top of the show. Nice. I did love Never Shoplift the Pooty. Yeah, I shoplift the Pooty. That was funny. Him talking about the Quan was amazing. But for me, it is, it has to be show me the money. And I use help me help you all the time. I work in a job where I need people to help me help them. And so I often will say help me help you 100 percent, and that's a trend transcends the film give me your best show me the money show me the money (laughs) (laughs) how about you show me the money (laughs) we have problems but this is what you're gonna do for me you listen Jerry? Yeah, what, what, what can I do for you, Rod? You just tell me, what can I do for you? It's a very personal, very important thing. Hell, it's a family model. Are you ready, Jerry? I'm ready. just want to make sure you're ready, brother. Here it is. Show me the money. Show you the money. Oh, no, no, you can do better than that, Jerry. I want you to say it what you would mean it, brother. Hey, I got Bob Sugar on the other line. I better hear you say it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Show you the money. Not, not show you. Show me the money. Show me the money. Yeah. Louder. Show me the money. That's it, brother, but you got to yell that shit. Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. Show me the money. Congratulations, you're still my agent. That scene is nuts because he walks throughout his entire house and somehow within the space of 30 seconds goes to every single room inside and out of his house. It's very strange. I did love, I think it is a bit of a visual gag. He talks about his brother TP's room leaking. And then the next thing you see is an ad for Rod Tidwell's waterbeds. (laughs) And I was like, I really hope that's a sight gag because that's very funny. That's good. I didn't even see that. That's great. I think it is that. That's show me the money. After a hundred years of film, and they said that's the 25th most memorable. Like, that's nuts. 
Rod Tidwell was based off the NFL former defensive back, Tim McDonald. That's what they say. Tim McDonald is actually credited with having come up with the phrase, show me the money. Um, yep. Tim McDonald played for the Arizona Cardinals. It seems like a very direct correlation. Now you read all this, you don't know if it's true, but that's what was put out there. Who does he remind you of? Let's just, let's roll into that. Who does he remind you of as a, as a player or as a character? From an NFL perspective, and I was trying to get into the mind of what they saw, I could see him maybe being like a Lev Bell, like I'm the man, you got to pay me kind of thing, a little bit off the rails in his own in his own life. But Rod Tidwell is, I don't know, cooler. He's funnier. He's like a better family man. Who does he remind you of? The first one, I'm surprised your mind didn't go straight there because he was a Ravens player, and that's Steve Smith Sr. Oh, yeah, I could see that for sure. Angry, disrespected, that does the hard things over the middle of the field. Shorter. Yeah, shorter. Jerry says to him, you don't play with heart, which you could never say about Steve Smith Sr. Right. And I think he was probably maybe more angry rather than bombastic. And, And of course... In the era of the diva receiver, and he was a little bit later, but T.O. Yeah, I can see that a lot too. Though, yeah, those are much better comps, I think, for sure. But yeah, I was watching it, I was like, holy fuck, this is a movie about Steve Smith. And he's funny too, so I do get that correlation. Steve Smith has made me laugh a million times with his, with his crazy little phrases. I think it's fair to say, but I, I know I'm probably being unfair to at least one person. I think that Rod Tidwell is still the most famous Arizona Cardinal of all time. Easily. Yeah. Like I went to the NFL experience in Times Square and there was memorabilia from 32 teams, you know, uh, I'm not sure if this was even in there, but something like the catch, uh, the glove that Odell Beckham caught the catch with, yep. or the cleats that Adrian Peterson was wearing. We went for 300 yards. You know, it was there for the Cardinals in the center, 85 <laughs> Tidwell. That's awesome. And That's great. I think it's definitely disrespectful to Larry Fitzgerald, who is no doubt their greatest player ever. I think it's probably disrespectful to a guy who began his career around this time, that being Pat Tillman. Yep. But I think if you said the Cardinals Mount Rushmore, Rod Tidwell is on there. And as a fictional character, that is incredible for the oldest franchise in the league. Right. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And earned. I mean, I get what you're saying about Fitz, of course. I mean, he absolutely should be their their top player. I love love Larry Fitzgerald, but yeah, Tidwell, he's earned he's earned a spot. Well, this probably brings us to the best football moment. Tidwell's catch, aside from maybe Larry Fitz's long running touchdown against Green Bay, might be the most iconic play in Cardinals history. Oh yeah, he got slammed from the top and the bottom. Complete one eighty to onto the ground, hell of a catch, and held onto the ball. Oh yeah, he he wasn't gonna let that thing go. Unconscious has the ball in his hand. Love it. I'm pretty sure the play itself would have been flagged as an illegal motion because he was not set after he went in motion uh, and he lined up at the line of scrimmage. So, Ooh. you know, real life challenge flag there, all for nothing. You know, ten yard penalty, five yard penalty, whatever it is. Bring it back. And I'm going to throw my challenge flag here as well. Flag. 
egg on the plate. Post my fire over there. 69. He was giving him the business. Flag on the plate. This would have been a real life challenge flag. It's got to be excessive celebration, right? And <laughs> American football is so stop-start, but there is no way they are stopping and starting for the shit that he does. It's, he does like an icky shuffle slash dirty bird type thing. He does a handstand. Because the movie feels so grounded in reality. It's clearly heightened, but it, it feels very real. And then he starts doing flips and stuff, and that kind of took it out of me. If he'd have just got up, performed with the crowd or given it to the crowd or just soaked it in, I think absolutely. But I think that was just such an unnecessary bit after the gravitas. It sort of made it all feel very silly. The announcer does say he's definitely going to get a flag for this celebration. It's Al Michaels. But they would have stopped him at some point. I'll slide right into my challenge flag on this movie. I have a couple soft ones that we'll get through as we go through it. It's with Rod Tidwell as well. I'm going to back up. Number one, Jerry Maguire at one point, he's lost his business. He goes to the draft and he brings Rod Tidwell. And he's trying to do that because that's his one of two clients at this point. And he's walking him through the draft to introduce people. He tells people he meets, this is Rod Tidwell. He had 110 receptions for 1,550 yards last year. So number one, why the hell don't they know about this guy? Why are the Cardinals not asking for money? Despite attitude, like it plays a factor in teams. But let's put this out there. Devontae Adams last year had 12 more receptions than that. And just three more <laughs> yards. Devontae Adams. I think Cooper Cup outdid him last year, but I think he was number two. He had more yards than Tyreek Hill last year, more than Justin Jefferson last year. And this was in 1995. Everyone should know who Rod Tidwell is and be chomping at the bit to get him, attitude or not. But coupled with that, he does that one touchdown and has that dance moment. He goes from an offer of $1.5 million to 11.2 million <laughs> from that one catch. That's not how this works. No way. It just doesn't make sense. We're going to add $10 million to your contract because that one catch and dance, hey, get out of here. Challenge flag thrown. I am 100% with you there. And I have a soft challenge flag, ironically, when you see what it is. This is a very 90s movie. And perhaps we'll get to some of those and this is a film that was nominated for an Oscar for Best Screenwriting, but never in my life, post-coital, has a woman earnestly looked me in the eyes and gone, I'd be with a girl if you wanted me to. That's a weird thing to say, and I don't think people talk like that. <laughs> Agreed. You know I was going to marry her. I mean, come mm. on. Hey. Maybe that's why John Travolta did. <laughs> right. Rest in peace, Kelly Preston. Rest in peace. I thought she was quite good in this movie, too. I thought so as well. Apparently, she practiced boxing with Mike Tyson to get her form right. No kidding. A little seven degrees of separation from our podcast. She was in the TV series Blue Thunder. Oh, wow. Isn't that crazy? With Dick Butkus and Bubba Smith. We did a podcast on that. 
If you haven't listened, go back and check it out. She wasn't a main character, obviously. She was, I think, a flight attendant in one episode. There were no women in that show. <laughs> right. But yeah, she was in that. I think probably a lot of our younger listeners probably know her as the mom from Sky High. Mm. Yeah. She married John Travolta and Sky High is a good movie, by the way. I'm not ashamed <laughs> to admit it. I don't care. I don't care. Who are you to judge me? Is Tim Allen in that? No, it's Kurt Russell and Kelly Preston's the mom. And then I forget who the kids are. What am I thinking of? I have no idea. There you go. If you know what film I'm thinking of, let us know. Yep. Tim Allen plays a dad to maybe a superhero. Listeners, please write us in. <laughs> or, I mean, I guess we could Google it, but we prefer nope. the interaction. Exactly. It's all about engagement. This is a real 90s film, as I said. There's threesomes, which is a very 90s thing for me. Certainly wasn't a 90s thing for me, but certainly a 90s concept. Right. Uh, we've got heartthrob Tom Cruise. He is very attractive in this film. I won't argue. Even with his weird middle tooth. And Renee Zellweger kind of has a weird middle tooth as well. <laughs> we get single mums. Again, big 90s thing. We get divorcees and yep. all men are bastards talking groups. Very 90s. Yep. I'm pretty sure those women wear the same clothes in every scene as well. The divorced, angry women's. Good catch. We get a relationship taking a break, which is very 90s. Yep. And you get running through airports, which is just pre 911 Every movie from probably the 70s into the early 2000s. And also, not in this one, but in a lot of movies, it's they park the car where they're not supposed to, and you can't park here, and they're like, keep it. Or whatever. <laughs> How many times have you seen that in a movie? There is no parking in the white zone. <laughs> uh, good reference. <laughs> the 90s also the era for precocious, annoying kids. And in this, we get Jonathan Lipnicki, who is now a real rude-looking unit. Although, actually, that's probably unfair. He was a, he was a very cute kid. Then he was a very rude-looking guy. And now he's kind of grown into his looks again. So good for you, Jonathan Lipnicki. Somehow a small child called Ray doesn't even get a, a Raymond. Like, pretty sure Ray Boyd is just, <laughs> that's an older man that you might meet at a pub. Yeah, exactly. He's less annoying in this than I remember him being. I He was very much a kid instead of the, the best example I can think of, and this is not a 90s reference. In fact, it's a 2022 reference, Princess Leia in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. <laughs> okay i get your point what did you think of uh what did you think of ray did you know the human head weighs eight pounds i don't know like i said it's been so long but no i'm gonna say no no i didn't know that i'm in the same mindset as you i feel like looking at it in retrospect you think you've heard these lines over and over again that he's done and you think oh man what an annoying little bastard but Rewatching it, not at all. He was a cute kid. His lines were done well. He wasn't overused. A lot of times when kids act, and I put that in air quotations, you can't see me, but a lot of times when kids act, it's like force lines. It was great. It was just a very natural, they didn't overuse the kid in it. So I thought it was funny. The interactions with him made me chuckle. What I didn't get when I was younger that I got when I rewatched it now was Renee Zellweger was really, really good in this. And those moments where Tom Cruise was interacting with the kid, you can really see her falling all in it just by her facial expressions on this guy. 
Whereas everyone else around her is kind of like, you need to chill out. But you could see Tom Cruise interacting with this kid very casually, kind of almost awkwardly. And she just looked great. I mean, she was great all around. She looked real cute. She was Adorable, single mother. Mm, just your type. <laughs> Hot local single mums in your area. I have no response to that. <laughs> At one point, I was going to throw a challenge flag. She was talking about being a single mother, and she's like, I'm the oldest 26-year-old out there. And I was like, there's no way she's 26. Yep. But I looked it up. She was born in 1969. The movie was in 1996. She was 27 at the time. So um, good for you, movie. Good on this movie. I think I was just younger, so I thought she was older. You know what I mean? Yep. I'm older than her, I still think. Well, she's older than me. He's supposed to be 35. Yeah, the end comes quickly for all of us. I thought she was really good as well. Like you say, she's she does a lot of acting without saying a lot. And I'm not a fan of Renee Zellweger. I find her tremendously uninteresting. I wouldn't say she's not attractive, but I think she has a stupid-looking face. Ouch. Does that make me a bad person? Huh? I think she's really good in this. As you say, the looks she gives when... Not just the looks of... As she's falling in love with him, but also seeing his relationship with Ray grow at the expense of their relationship. Right. She even says that. of He loves my kid and he sure does like me a lot. And I think her performance comes through. So this break is a break up. That's... Come on, Jerry. You know this isn't easy for me. On the surface, everything looks fine. I've got this great guy. And he loves my kid. And he sure does like me a lot. And I can't live like that. not how I'm built. Here's a little challenge flag for you as well. Where is there just another job in another city that's waiting for you to take it? Yeah, exactly. Should I take this other job that came out of the blue? Sure is important to the plot. (laughs) Yeah. A little forced. Another thing I absolutely loved from this film, and again, watching it with new eyes and perhaps new ears is a song that plays twice in it, and it's sort of her theme throughout it, and that's The Horses. That's the way it's gonna be, little darling. We'll be riding on the horses, yeah. Way up in the sky, little darling. If you fall, pick you up, pick you up. The original version by Ricky Lee Jones, written by Ricky Lee Jones as well, from her 1989 album Flying Cowboys, not Flying Helmets, or Ragging on the Cowboys. The most famous version is from the amazing Australian singer Daryl Braithwaite off his 1990 album, which is sort of the unofficial Australian national anthem for people of my age. Right 
in 2018, it was named the 14th most Australian song of all time. Interesting. Is this the You Catch It In Your Arms, that song? No, that's um, Secret Garden by Bruce Springsteen, I think. Oh, I should know that. That's <laughs> egg on my face. I suppose I could just cut it out, but I'm not going to. Honor. No, it's fab's fine. This is that's the way it's gonna be, little darling. Yes, yes. We've never really talked about this on the show, but I sell t-shirts on the side of all the other things that I do, and you can buy a the horses themed shirt from my online store. Go to redbubble.com/shein704 and buy a shirt with a horse in it that says that's the way it's going to be little darling i'm doing it context i would say i explained this once to my significant other's sister and some of her friends because we were out at a bar and down under by men at work came on and they were like oh you must be absolutely loving this i was like no there's another one called the horses and i explained it it'd be like if born in the usa came on and you were like now what i want to hear is born to run right it's that like interesting it's quintessentially australian i had no idea that it was a cover she actually didn't release her version until specifically for this movie also covered by kenny loggins of danger zone fame and mighty wings fame of uh, top gun starring tom cruise yeah a little connection there nice Check out The Horses. That's my recommendation this week. And you will have it stuck in your head because it is a banger. Put a nice little bow on that too. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, and we've kind of alluded to this already. Is this the first movie we've done with a sex scene? I want to say yes. I think it is. Yeah. To really talk about this sex scene in depth, we're going to throw it to a friend of ours, friend of the show, The Movie Man 123, listed as a 15-year-old on commonsensemedia.org love the common sense <laughs> do you, i mean you're a dad do you ever check things out on here to see if something's appropriate to show the kid i'll say this yes and don't even bother with the parents reviews always read the kid <laughs> reviews those are the ones that really separate what is quality and what's not and some of them are weird a lot of times the kids will jump in and they're way younger than they should be like, I'm nine and I'm watching this movie. It's got a lot of gore. That time the guy rips off his face. I couldn't sleep for the first night, but your kid should be fine if he's 13. It's real weird, <laughs> but I, I think it's great. I don't get who would do this. I think these are the people who grow up and join like homeowners associations. 100%. We've talked about us being nerds growing up. These kids are like wedgies and take their lunch money nerds. These are the kids that wrote down who misbehaved when the teacher left the room in school. Oh, big time. This gentleman, the movie man, one, two, three, said, Okay, I was watching this movie when I was 10 and it seemed perfectly normal. But then two seconds later, I was watching Tom Cruise naked doing what you think he was doing. And I was just looking for the remote. I couldn't find it. And I was ready to just unplug the TV when another person found the remote and turned it off. I'm not saying anything about this movie, but the TV didn't say anything about it being R-rated. Something like that is pretty shocking for a kid. It was only like 10 minutes into the movie. So to all of you out there watching this with your kids, be ready to skip forward when you need to. Also, he said it has too much sex, too much swearing, too much drinking, drugs, and smoking. So if you're listening to Movie Man 123, you're a loser. Because I don't know, maybe I was a creep, but if I was 10 years old and I saw a sex scene, I would have been... That's Shangri-La 
to a young a young boy learning about the world. This one was very mild. You didn't see Tom Cruise naked. You saw him shirtless. There's a lot of butts in it. There's big butt. Tidwell butts. Yeah, you get Cuba. A lot of Cuba butts. There's that sex scene in the very beginning with Tom Cruise and his fiance. So I think that's maybe even a little bit more. You get to see her butt in there. Yeah, butts. That sex scene, I guess, was a little more graphic in the sense that they were actually gyrating up against the wall, but you didn't see anything. And the one with him and Renee Zellweger was very, very mild. I actually think it's a nice scene because it's not like a a sex scene that you get in movies where everyone's passionate. They're joking around, they're laughing, and he's playing that crazy jazz music that the au pair gave him. (laughs) They like have a moment. You know this is going to change everything. Promise. What is this music? (laughs) What is this music? line which i've used a lot in my lifetime when i've heard something weird come on (laughs) tonight i'm gonna teach him about jazz (laughs) but you're right and this is interesting this is you know we're gonna take a dip to she and symbolism corner here you see the relationship between the two characters at the start you have him and avery and she's screaming never stop fucking me or something like that yeah and then you fast forward to uh, an intimate relationship they are very much making love uh it is an equal sharing of of passion and intention and i think that's uh that's a nice juxtaposition from cameron crow he thought about it exactly it's there's nothing raunchy about that scene obviously you get that in a lot of movies they want you know sex sells so they want things to be hot and whatever but you're absolutely right. They're bonding on different levels. And then when it switches to the sister, she can hear them laughing in the room and it makes her laugh. Soft flag on Renee Zellweger's character as a mother. I mean, you know, keep it down. You got a little kid in there. What are you doing? You can hear it all the way in the kitchen. Bad move. <laughs> yeah, you got to be respectful. Those walls are thin. I don't care if you're Tom Cruise or anybody else. So the villain of the piece in this is... The stupidly named Bob Sugar, played by Jay Moore. Yeah. I don't think we've talked about, but lasted one season on SNL. Yeah, I don't think that we have yet. What do you think of Jay Moore? Do you have any opinions on Jay Moore? Was he the guy in Gary Unmarried? I don't know. I think he might have been. You know what? I have no thoughts whatsoever about Jay Moore. He's in movies I like. Like, he's in Go. Uh, That's a 90s movie with... Katie! (laughs) So he's in a movie with Katie Holmes. He did a bunch of voices for Family Guy. He was in a underrated movie, Suicide Kings, with Christopher Walken. Wow. Wow. Wow, he's in a movie with Christopher Walken. Jay Moore. Jay Moore. He actually does the best impression of Walken. He does an impression on The Simpsons. Look, Maggie, Christopher Walken's reading Goodnight Moon. Good night, room. Good night, moon. Good night, cow jumping over the moon. Please, children, scooch closer. Don't make me tell you again about the scooching. You in the red, chop, chop. A lot of people don't know Jay Moore is a pretty good stand-up comic. I don't know if he's still doing it, but back in the day, he was...
was on point. And for my money, he's my favorite Walken impression. He has this story that he tells, and I've heard him tell it a number of different ways, but he's talking about his dog and how Christopher Walken just kind of like idles up to him. And he's like, hey, Jay, your dog, he's got no tail. That dog had no tail. <laughs> what happened? Well, they cut it off, you know, and they're puppies. They, it's called docking the tail. That's too bad, you know. <laughs> Think about it. It would be so great to have a tail. People could tell when you were angry. They'd go, get back. Look out. Don't f with Chris today. <laughs> Look at his tail. You mean happy, Chris? You know, dogs wag their tail when they're happy. Oh, well, maybe you. <laughs> but if I had a tail, you know, you gotta be expressive with that tail. Otherwise, what's the point, right? <laughs> they'd know, they'd know. They'd go, get back. Don't bother Chris today. He's having a bad day. How do you know? Well, did you look at his tail? <laughs> and I keep waiting for him to go, ah, I'm just with you, but he doesn't. <laughs> He's completely serious. It's hilarious. I think I might have heard him tell that on something like Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Actually, I think it might be the episode with Michael Richards and they think they're going to someone's house and it turns out to be Jay Moore's house because whoever it was they were going to visit doesn't live there anymore and Jay Moore does. <laughs> That's awesome. He's pretty funny. He, I remember one other thing from his stand-up that I liked a lot where he was talking about, you know how you, when you travel out of the country, you have to do that flight intake form? And he's just going through this process of flying. He has a whole routine on it. And then he gets to this form that you have to fill out. Do you plan on buying any of, of these type of products? Do you plan on doing this? Do you plan on visiting any farms? And he's like, farms? What's that? <laughs> like, what's, what's that about farms? He's, and he goes, I was flying with my friend and I leaned over and I said, what did you say about farms? <laughs> and his friend's like, I said, no, but we're going. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, I've always looked at him as a pretty funny dude, but he always plays the douchebag in movies. Yeah, he's got a very punchable face. Yeah, he played the douchebag in this. He played the douchebag in Suicide Kings. Kind of a douchebag in Go. I think most people are like you. They don't really have an opinion of the guy, but I think he's pretty funny. I'm looking at his uh, filmography here, talking about 90s films or 90s-ish films with annoying children and a hunt sister, pay it forward. He's in that. And one of my favorite films when I was a kid that I've not seen in a long time, and I might have to go and watch it to see if we can do it on this, Small Soldiers. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. And he was in Gary Unmarried, so... He's quite good in this, I thought. Very compelling villain. I suppose he's just just a dickhead, and yeah. he behaves like a dickhead. And you see that throughout. I love at the end where one of the players, I think it might be, I think it's Drew Bledsoe, says to him, why don't you do that to me? He tries to hug him. Yeah. Is it Bledsoe? I don't know. Because Bledsoe's in this. So Troy Aikman was at the end. Yeah, with Lee... Lee Steinberg. Lee Steinberg, I'm very sorry to my people. Uh, <laughs> Lee Steinberg, who Jerry Maguire is based on, former manager of Aikman, young, still in the game, manages Patrick Mahomes now. And Tua. Yeah. Well, he's in a different class to the rest of them. 
Yeah, just a little shout out to Miami fans out there. Lee Steinberg has represented some pretty big names. Troy Aikman, who we mentioned, Steve Young, Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> hey, I'm the greatest <laughs> quarterback ever. I like ketchup. Hey, <laughs> curb me. <laughs> this movie was basically based on that, on this situation, yep. where the idea is that Steinberg was in the mentality of having more of a boutique management style where he would focus on players and have a relationship with them. And the McGuire and Tidwell relationship was parallel to Steinberg and Warren Moon, Mm -hmm. QB for Houston Oilers at the time. Lee Steinberg had a pretty interesting life if you look into it. After this movie came out, he actually struggled with alcoholism and his whole business basically started falling apart. But he ended up getting sober and rebuilding, focusing on representing a smaller mass of star athletes and as we mentioned he has patrick mahomes right now amongst many others well one of the weird devices throughout this that i guess it's like supposed to be dickie fox or someone like that who is mcguire's mentor who i imagine is based on someone who was lee steinberg's mentor and i read that cameron crow wanted his own mentor to play that role and i really like at the end of it the last line of the film is something like i've failed more times than i've succeeded but there's no greater success than loving my wife and i wish you the same success that i have hey i don't have all the answers in life to be honest i failed as much as i've succeeded but i love my wife i love my life and i wish you my kind of success if i pass this way again i'd forgotten about that bit yeah and i thought that was a really Sweet note to end on. And you, dear listener, I wish you that same success. (laughs) It was a nice cinematic tool that they used. It happened throughout the movie. It kind of opened with part of it. Uh, Jerry Maguire's writing up his mission statement. It leads with one of these clips. The key to this business is personal relationships. Then throughout the movie, as he's suffering at different points, this mentor clip comes in and then they wrap the whole movie up with it. I thought it was really nice. It kind of separated the acts in the same way as those, the black screens in Frasier. Yeah. There's two characters that we haven't really talked about yet. Uh, one of them being Jerry Maguire, and I think we'll finish with him. But before then, we have Jerry O'Connell as Frank Cush Cushman. Cush. Number one draft, he goes number one to Denver. Surf or ski, surf or ski. You get his old man, uh, Bo Bridges, playing him uncredited. Yeah. Fun little six, seven degrees of separation. When Jerry Maguire walks into his hotel room, he's playing something in the way, which of course come back to prominence as the opening and closing to the Batman. Nice. And then starts playing Kushlash, Kushlash. I got Kushlash. <laughs> Man, I'm getting sick of myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought he was quite good. He was, you could see him being the, the douchey number one quarterback out of college, uh, which kind of begs the question, Frank Cushman or Bo Callahan? Ooh, Frank Cushman or Bo Callahan? I'm going with Cushman. And this is why. Cush didn't really do anything wrong, I don't think. His father was his manager, and he just wanted to play football, man. That's it. His father was the guy that kind of went back on the deal, handshake was strong as oak, and then signed with Bobby Sugar. 
I want him to go number one in the draft. And I want him to play. It'll either be Denver or San Diego trading up to take him. He'll go number one. Hell, I'll either surf or ski. I don't care. <laughs> but Denver's where he should be. I'll give it everything. You know I don't do contracts. But what you do have is my word. And it's stronger than oak. Whereas you have in draft day, that guy just kind of seemed like a jerk all around and wasn't dedicated and didn't do what he was supposed to do. You know what I mean? Yep. That's where I would go. How about you? Yeah, I think that's a totally well-reasoned argument. Well, it was off the cuff, so it was good. <laughs> I like it. Jerry O'Connell's funny because he's... Jerry O'Connell is funny. In Tomcats? <laughs> yeah. He's more so a 90s... B star, I guess. He popped up a lot in the 90s. He's in Scream 2, where he plays the boyfriend, and he plays football player. And he's in Can't Hardly Wait as Trip McNeely. I don't know if you know that movie. Wear flip-flops in the men's room. <laughs> My feet have uh, warts all over him. Where he played a football player in that, and he plays a football player in this. Little bit of a typecast on Jerry O'Connell there. Yeah, I uh, mentioned him in our Blue Thunder episode as the star of the cancelled carpoolers, which I really liked. Right. He's, of course, the fat kid in Stand By Me. He is married to Rebecca Romaine, who famously played Mystique, which might be a link back to our first ever episode, the Marvel football team. So many seven degrees of separation. I'm pretty sure he is Tommy Elliott in Hush, the Batman film, which is one of the inspirations for The Batman. Dope. Yeah, Hush is a good comic series. It is. I didn't love the film, but yeah, I like Jerry O'Connell. He looks like a he looks like a football player. You know what though? What he was also the kid on the beach in Police Academy Five. Another seven degrees oh, of separation. <laughs> oh my god! He's been in all our podcasts. We just didn't know it. <laughs> on the first time I went to Oktoberfest, I took the bus there with my mate. Yeah, and I met a girl on the bus. Or I met a group of people on the bus, but one of them was this girl who her friend had convinced her that Meryl Streep is in every movie. <laughs> and I'm feeling that way with Jerry O'Connell, that somehow there has been a Jerry O'Connell reference in every show that we've done without me realizing. If this was a movie or a podcast, this would be the point where the music like kicks in and then you have flashbacks to all our podcasts and he's in the background somewhere like oh. watching us eating soup or like <laughs> tying his shoe. He's been here the whole time. They're talking about me. <laughs> hey, Rebecca, come in here. The Australian guy and the other guy, they're talking about me again. They haven't said your name, Jerry. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Well, now we have Jerry O'Connell. We'd love to have you on the show. Please reach out. Yes, please. We can't leave this. And we've not really talked about the plot of this film, but this is a 20-something-year-old film. So, you know, what? just go and watch it. This is a good film. Who hasn't seen this film is really the question. Who hasn't seen it? If you haven't seen it, what's wrong with you? Look inward. Why are you listening to this podcast? Don't listen to this show. We don't <laughs> want you. That's a lie. We do want you. You're equally as valuable. We love you. And I wish you all the happiness that the fake sports agent mentor wishes Absolutely. on. You're our favorite, actually. Yeah. And I'm just curious. You want to go out? You seeing anybody? You want, you want to go out? <laughs> there we go. Jerry Maguire himself, we've talked about, I, we really admire his balls. If you're not familiar with the movie, he is the high-flying sports agent. There's a bit of a montage at the start where I got big, that happened energy from a lot of it. Yeah. He has an epiphany one night and writes down what he terms a mission statement, again, very 90s sort of thing. These days, you might call it a manifesto called The Things We Think 
but do not say, I'm pretty sure it is. Yep. Prints it off and gets it delivered to everyone in the company. It basically says fewer clients, less money, more personal service. And just to jump in there, I really think to the credit of the director and the, the screenwriter, that is kind of a basis for really how this movie is broken down. Hmm. There's a lot of moments in this where people say what you would want to say, like when he's freaking out in the office, it's something that people want to do, but they don't, and vice versa. He's not saying things to Renee Zellweger that he should say. I feel like that mission statement is kind of the underlining theme of the whole movie. And it's really quite brilliant. It was just a mission statement. As a stream of consciousness writer, I totally get the ability to sit down at a keyboard and type out a lot of words in a row out of nowhere. So good luck to him. He sends them in, or everyone at the company he works for. Uh, the big sports agency where he's the, the cool guy from Suits, big man on campus. Everyone reads it and they give him a round of applause, but really they know he's kind of signed his death notice. Justin's favorite man, Jay Moore, fires him. <laughs> yeah. There's a little bit of a soft flag there too, because he puts it in everyone's inbox at like three in the morning and everyone has read it by the time he gets down to the lobby in the morning and claps. It's like a 25-page memo, dude. No way everyone read that by that time. The 90s were a different time. You don't have your phone when you're on the toilet. You could easily take chip away at sort of 10 to 12 pages while you're... Fair enough. Soft flag. So everyone reads it. They ultimately fire him because his whole mission statement was less clients. Businesses don't like that, obviously, so... He scrambles to save all his clients. While he's trying to get Rod Tidwell across the line, a lot of the clients who were supposed to be calling him back don't call him back. And he's left with Tidwell and Cushman. He gives everyone the opportunity to join him at his new agency. I think it's a fantastically awkward scene. Great. He's imploring them all and they're all looking at him so, well, with so much pity in their eyes. It's kind of uncomfortable. He takes the office goldfish because fish have integrity. <laughs> yeah. And Dorothy Boyd, Renee Zellweger, goes with him, having met him at an airport and they had a sort of a meet, meet cute and a bit of a connection. And Well... Don't worry. Don't worry. I'm not gonna do what you all think I'm gonna do, which is just flip out! Well, let me just, let me just say, as I ease out of the office, I helped build. I'm sorry, but it's a fact that there is such a thing as manners. A way of treating people. These fish have manners. These fish have manners. In fact, they're coming with me. I'm starting a new company, and the fish will come with me. You can call me sentimental. The fish, they're coming with me. Okay. If anybody else wants to come with me, this moment will be the moment of something real and fun and inspiring in this God-forsaken business, and we will do it together. Who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? Who's coming with me? 
She says to Ray when they're on the plane together, it used to be a, a better meal in first class, now it's a better quality of life. He sort of just laughs because what child is going to understand that? They go in, the only clients they have are Cushman and Rod Tidwell. He goes to make sure Cushman is across the line. That's where you get old man Cushman, not going to put a, a contract down, but my word is stronger than Oak. So Jerry leaves there with his most important client. He's still got Rod Tidwell there. And we get the fantastic scene. And I think this is one of the great uses of music in any scene. He's so excited that he's trying to sing along to the radio. Yeah. And that feels so authentic of when you're in a mood and you want to sing along and he's flicking through the channels and he gets to Juice Newton <laughs> with Angel as well. And he's, he's trying to sing in falsetto and though he switches over and he gets the great Thomas Earl Petty with Free Falling. sums up how he's feeling it was very one of your men uh edgar wright that's very much something he would do where he writes the the scene around the music yep uh, and i thought that was very apt it was a really perfect song for a really perfect moment like you said we could all relate to that where you're just so amped up you want something to match you and he's searching for it and then he hits free fallen which is the underlying of the plot where he is right now i mean mm. he's been let go of his job he's free falling and he just feels great because he was able to grab that one client it's a powerful scene i think it's something that we can all relate to and an amazing song that i can't not hear without singing free ballin I know, yeah, me too. <laughs> he and Dorothy work together. He breaks up with Avery. He shows up drunk at Dorothy's house, kind of doing a terrible Tom Cruise impression. Yeah. <laughs> like if you watch Celebrity Jeopardy with Tom Cruise on SNL as Ben Stiller as Tom Cruise, he's sort of doing, he's got the sunglasses on and he's, he's kind of laughing and, <laughs> and whack. It's almost like they've gone... It's like they couldn't get Tom Cruise, so we're going to get someone to be the Tom Cruisiest Cruise ever. Right. He's like, ha ha! <laughs> He's amped up. I'm back. He does that whole thing. And then he makes a move on her. And I found interesting. He went right for the boob. Yep. That was his move. Just went right, yep. right on in there just for the boob. Pre-kiss. They call that the Justin Barber. They do not. <laughs> they, they might, though. The two-hander. Again, it felt very authentic. You know, yep. he's quite, it's uncomfortable. She finds herself falling more in love with him, but, you know, she's torn between her responsibilities as a single mum and her want to be with this man who she loves, says loves for the man he wants to be and loves, loves him for the man he almost is. Why should I let this guy go? Why? When everything in my body says that this one is the one. Take it easy, all right? I was just looking for a few fun details, that's all. Oh, well, why didn't you say so? Well, I don't know if you're interested in this one little detail. Yeah, I'm not. But I was just about to tell you uh -huh. that I love him. I do. I love him. I love him. And I don't care what you think. 
I love him for the, for the man he wants to be, and I love him for the man that he almost is. I love him, Laurel. I love him. I love him. Well, let's duck back to our friends at Common Sense Media here. It has one out of five for positive role models, so they're happy with the, the level of role modelry here. A single mother is obviously a good person who dotes on her son, but she struggles to make the right choices for the right reasons. And I think that's a fairly apt summation. Their relationship starts to blossom. I totally forgot they got married in this. Yep. You get Rod Tidwell singing What's Going On with a mariachi band at their wedding. Classic. I think they did it well with her character because you can tell, even without her saying it, that she just loves him right off the bat. He's the guy that she's admired from afar. She meets him and then she's smitten with him he wrote that mission statement and that drove her more into it and then he shows interest in her and she's just over the moon with him it was done very subtly but it was done very very well like i felt that there comes a point when rod tidwell does the line that you said earlier shoplift the booty and there is some weight to that because as a single mother she doesn't really have the option to go out like single people do and explore and mess around with someone for a little bit and see how it is like for her it has to be more serious and you you get that weight of the position that she's in i didn't get that as much when i was younger and watched it but i very much felt that this time around what do you know about dating a single mother no plenty i was raised by a single mother well tell me because i think after this she's gonna have to take that job in san diego first of all single mothers don't date They've, uh, watch it, watch it. They don't date. They've, they've been to the circus. You know what I mean? <laughs> they've been to the puppet show and they've seen the strings. Do you love her? How do I know? I mean, how you know? You know I mean, when you know. I mean, I'm feeling a little, you know, I mean, I don't want her to go. Yeah. I've been hanging out at her place a lot. Oh, wait, wait, no, wait, wait. That's right there. That's bullshit. You gotta be fair to her. A single mother, man, that's a sacred thing. You gotta have the talk. She loves you. If you don't love her, you've got to tell her. The kid's amazing. He... <laughs> I feel you. I feel you, dog. But uh, a real man would not shop the pootie from a single mother. I didn't shoplift the pootie. All right. I shoplifted the pootie. It's a really cool scene because um, Tidwell talks about having been raised by a single mother and that basically, to paraphrase the great uh, Tina Turner, you better be good to her. Yeah. Throughout the movie, while at his Bucks party, they kind of rinse him a bit with a video of all these women that he would have hooked up with saying he's great at at friendship, hates intimacy, he can't be alone. So he's sort of on a journey of discovery as well. He's afraid of being alone, so he half proposes to her and they get married. It's kind of shotgun weddingy and you know his work takes him all over the country and rod tidwell basically says what are you doing here why aren't you home with your wife yeah again he's afraid of the intimacy he sees what tidwell and his wife have and they're out on a double date and it's kind of awkward because they're all over each other and he's sort of like pats her on the head kind (laughs) of right awkwardly tries to make physical contact he realizes that what is most important to him in the world is is the relationships he's built um after the monday night football game where tidwell catches the winning touchdown gets his bell rung 
carries on like a pork chop, flies home, and, and that's where you get the you complete me, you had me, and hello. Yeah. I didn't really buy the final turn. Like, I knew it was coming, but it did kind of feel unearned a little bit. I agree with you. Because he didn't really learn that he could be alone and he needed her. Also, I think from a relationship point of view, the idea of someone completing you is wrong. You should be two complete people on your own who are better with each other. You shouldn't need the other person to complete you. 100%. You know, maybe that's a poor message. Put that on your fucking website, um, Common Sense Media. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, there were boobs. How about a poor message that you shouldn't need another person to complete you? You're never going to be happy in a relationship unless you'd be happy being alone. And if all you're looking for is just someone there to be with you, you're never going to be happy. And if you think that's what's missing in your life, you're just going to be upset. This has been another life lesson by Sheehan. That's true. You're 100% correct, though. You have to be good with yourself, especially before you invite someone else into that mess. So the problem, I think, is it kind of built up all at once. Went from one thing, we should separate, we're on our own, to all of a sudden, like, I realized I need you in my life. The same thing happened with Rod Tidwell. Like I was saying earlier today, that was my challenge. He has one catch, and all of a sudden, he's super famous, and he's getting... $11.2 million. It's a little bit rushed at the end. Being a little hypercritical here, I think overall I can give it, give it pass. You know, it's, I get the idea of it. I can think in my mind, okay, let's say that this was over the course of a season or something like that. He sort of has his cake and eats it too. In fact, I'm going to throw my challenge flag again on the concept of uh, needing another person to complete you. Yeah. Actually, I have one more thing to say about Jerry Maguire. Do it. He basically takes all his memorabilia from his office and has it set up at his beach house, wherever that is. <laughs> Two of the things that I noticed in there, he has a life-size cutout of JFK. I did too. I noticed that. How strange <laughs> is that? A grown man, no less. In my notes, I have life-size cutout of JFK, question mark, life-size <laughs> cutout of JFK, uh, exclamation mark. And he has an old vintage cricket bat hanging on his wall as well. Oh, I didn't see that. And I was like, that's, uh, that's very weird. Yeah. It's an odd thing to have. <laughs> it is. Even uh, for me, a lifelong cricket fan and devotee of the game and uh, passionate about the history of the game, no cricket bats hanging in my house. I didn't notice the cricket bat, but I certainly noticed the cutout of JFK, which I thought was weird. And in his office, he had a cutout of someone and Jay Moore had a cutout of someone. So throughout this whole movie, there's just grown men having cutouts of other grown men in their office. Very strange. In the spare bedroom here, technically I'm in my office at the moment. It's not in here. I have a cutout of Michael Jordan. I used to have one of Boba Fett when I was young. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was pretty pretty all right. The cutout hour. Cut it out. So have you got anything else to add about this film? Anything else you want to talk about? Anything we might have missed out on before we give our rating? Yeah, I got nothing else. How about you? Nope. Why don't you tell us where this falls for you on our scale of First round through to seventh round, it can be undrafted. To summarize my thoughts on this, it was an extremely well-written movie. It was heartfelt. It was funny. For me, those are two hard things to do. A lot of times, humor and heartfelt movies are not funny to me, but this one was legitimately funny. Even knowing things were coming, I still felt the heartfelt, and I still laughed. The underlining theme of this movie of things unsaid or things you wouldn't normally say was brilliant and genius, starting with his mission statement down, taking the leaps of faith and starting a business and jumping into the marriage. I think it was great. 
I think that this movie is a first round pick. It's so iconic. It still holds up. What are you going to pick in the first round if it's not something like this? How about you? Totally agree. It's the best thing we've done on the show so far. It's the best movie we've done, the best TV show. I think you might have given Friends a second rounder. I didn't score it that highly. True. Um, yep. This is comfortably a first rounder for me. I think if you were legitimately drafting sports movies 1 to 32, this would have an argument to be in that first round. I think it would have an argument to be in the top 10. Cuba Gooding Jr. is amazing. Tom Cruise is really good in it. I think Renee Zellweger is really good. A lot of it feels authentic. You can't always say about Hollywood romances. Yes, there are some issues. I think so far as the movies we've seen and movies in general, this is a pretty good representation of NFL as well. Like it looked fairly real. It did. And they actually had uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. go out with the Arizona Cardinals the scenes that they showed were real NFL scenes. So it was, it was, it was buttoned up. And the idea that you're doing a movie about a sports agent, you know, I always like those movies that are against the norm. Hmm. It's funny. Cause I think Woody Harrelson might've been offered a part in this movie. I don't even know if it was Jerry Maguire or what he said something along the lines of no one's going to watch a movie about a sports agent and just rejected yep. it. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I read. But I like that kind of stuff. It's really focused not so much on the players like all sports movies are, but this is like a behind-the-scenes thing that we don't typically get to see. It was just excellent through and through. Yeah, totally. I think exactly what you said. It's excellent. It was written for Tom Hanks and Winona Ryder. I can't see anyone else in this other than Tom Cruise as, as Jerry Maguire. Really did everything good. Even down to the, you know, the sister. I know a ton of people were approached for her. I thought she was exceptional in it. Yep. Bonnie Hunt. Shout out. Every single role, I think, was cast perfectly. First round pick. What else can you say? 100%. Right up there with Kush himself. Two first rounders from us. I think that's 100% well earned. Why don't you tell the people where they can find all the things that you think and do say? Well, if you want to reach out to me on some social media, you can find me at Justin underscore B on Twitter. Or if you want to check out some web and design work, you can go to my website at justin-b.com. And you can, of course, follow our show at Screen Pass Podcast on Instagram. You can get in touch with us at screenulator at gmail.com. You can follow 32bit at 32bit on Twitter. That's the number 30, T-W-O-B-I-T. And you can find me... Twitter's viral superstar. I am at Sheehan Solo. As always, that's S-H-E-A-H-A-N-S-O-L-O. Come and say day, and we can enjoy the football season together. And without any further ado, show me the money. Help me help you. Help me help you. You complete me, and you had me at Screen You Later. You had me at Screen You Later.
different situation should keep us separated. You know the world won't fall apart, and you will free the beautiful bird.